For my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Don't know the power of the dark side. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I got a bad feeling about this. Welcome to episode 160 of Blue Harvest. I'm your host, Halls Burkhart. And no Will this week. Will is on vacation with the family, chilling at the beach. So I called him backup, as I do. And boy, do I have some fascinating backup. King Tom! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you heard his voice and you know him, you know who I've got. But let me give you a little background. I first became aware of this individual one fateful night when one Mr. Jonathan Grosso was to be a special guest on the Steel Wars call-in show and had some technical difficulties. And who showed up? The, who, the, the man who originally became known as Lawyer Rob, but then morphed into Robbo. It's our buddy from the Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast, from the Robbo Report, from the Wookiee Genome Project. It's our buddy Robbo. Hey, everybody. Uh, great to be here, although uh, sad uh, sad I couldn't have uh, my boy Will here too. But it's good that he's on vacation. That's the thing to do right now. Yeah, he was like, oh man, I'm a baller. I do live podcasts now. I'm going on vacation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, we have Rob on for a very specific special reason. We want to introduce to you guys little project we've been working on over the past several months, you know, as part of our Patreon. And we will get to that very shortly. But first, and let me give you guys the business. You, oh boy. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blue Harvest Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at Blue Harvest Pod. You can email us at blueharvestpodcast at gmail.com. We have a public store, tpublic.com slash user slash blue harvest podcast and we are very proud to be part of the making star wars podcast network the home of the best damn ass star wars podcast in the galaxy podcast like now this is podcasting steel wars rebel girl idiots array tarkin's top shelf rebel girl the sith list rogue one first order transmissions and the cargo hold 
and the Sith list. Did I say the Sith list? I think you did. I also think you said Rebel Girl twice. Maybe I, maybe I... I said Rebel I, Girl twice on direct instruction from one Miss Amanda Ward. Excellent. Because um, I was saying a podcast that's apparently no longer on the network for a couple of weeks there, and she let me know, and I was like, oh, my bad. Nobody told yeah. me. And, Do it right, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, well, you know, you can make up for it by mentioning Rebel Girl twice. So for the past two weeks, I've purposely done that. I just got to now I got to reorganize my flow because I had it very specifically memorized and now I mess it up every time. So, hmm. well, as I mentioned, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash blue harvest podcast. I want to thank all of our Patreon Patreons. Uh, it's been real fun seeing what you guys think of our bonus content. We released our first episode of Steve versus the prequels. This week, we released our first episode of Jaws, which is a podcast with Jesse and myself. And this Monday, the 6th, we are debuting a project that our buddy Robbo here has really been helping us out with, and that is Blue Harvest Adventures. Rob, buddy, why don't you fill our good listeners in on what we've been cooking up? So, uh, yeah, first off, I want to say like, this was, uh, I'm really proud of this. I think we, um, have made something really special. It's basically like, a uh, we're doing the old West End games, uh, star Wars D six role-playing game. West End games is kind of responsible for like the very, first of all, it's the first star Wars role-playing game. And it's also a lot of like the earliest of early, uh, kind of expanded universe stuff. It's not, not maybe not the earliest of early. It's like the second earliest. So it's like, it, 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 I think the original edition came out in 1987 and that was oh. really like kind of the dark ages for star Wars. Like was there wasn't it, a lot going on. Was it 87 or 85? For some reason I thought, cause I bought a first edition, uh, book when we decided to do this. And for some reason I thought it was 85, but you might, I think you might be right because I think that commemorative set that they brought out was to celebrate like the 30th anniversary. So I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I think, I think it would be 87 because, um, yeah, definitely. I'm looking at the copyright right now. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. so but yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, you know, 85, 87, like the point is, is we were all had like the big shoulder pads, the, we were like <laughs> aqua gel on the hair, you know, that was the, that was the era. Um, but I don't know, like for, for Star Wars fans of a certain age, um, I won't say whether I'm included in that, that group or not, but, uh, it, it's like, there's like very fond memories of, I mean, I was kind of a kid. I never actually played the game, I think until I was probably, I, uh, maybe 11 or 12. Um, but I was a kid when I first saw the books on the shelves and I was like, Oh, cause I was a big star Wars fan and there wasn't a lot of star Wars stuff out there. Exactly. Uh, I first came into contact with it when I think the second edition had just come out. Um, the second edition, maybe even like the second expanded. It's the book that has just Darth Vader's helmet on the cover. It's like a dark blue with space in yeah. the background. Uh, and I was all about it. And it was at the local comic book store in my hometown. 
And I was like, I, I'm getting this. And the comic shop owner was even like, I don't know, man. Like, you might be a little young for this. Like, it's it's pretty complicated. And I was like, I don't care. I'm getting this. And I had these loft, lofty aspirations of taking my rule book and my dice to Boy Scout summer camp and getting <laughs> this huge Star Wars game going. And it's, How'd that work out? It did not work out. Instead, all the kids were like, nah, we'd rather go blow shit up with firecrackers and try to sneak cigarettes behind the cantina. So fuck you yeah. and your pretend Star Wars stuff. Yeah, ain't it always the way. Um, I, like, for me, like, my thing was is I, I thought it was cool because it was like, I was aware of Dungeons and Dragons. I think I first played Dungeons and Dragons maybe when I was not for very long, um, but when I was probably maybe like in the second grade or something, uh, my cousin like set us up and, and, uh, you know, like made it really simple for us. But I remember getting kind of bored. So like I had no connection to it and, you know, not, not this in Dungeons and Dragons by any means, but when I saw there was a Star Wars role playing game, I was like psyched um because that's what we said back then and uh like i'm like a kid i i distinctly remember trying to create my own uh d6 uh ninja turtles role-playing game i just remember that right now at this moment and not having very much success because i was just like well you like you roll the dice and like if it's like a it's like a high number then you then you win <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't really quite wrap my head around what you had to do, but the idea that you could do it with star Wars was really cool. Um, and, uh, and now we get to do it. So like, yeah, it's like you will Jesse and, um, uh, he, other guests that may join in yeah. surprises. Yeah. We don't want to, we don't want to <laughs> spoil it. We have recorded, uh, several episodes in advance. Um, and, uh, the first of them might already, is it already out or is it out next week? Well, depending on when people listen to this, it may or may not be out. It'll be the episode we drop on August 6th, Monday, August 6th, because our bonus stuff comes out on Monday, Monday. So not quite yet as of recording, but it will be out very soon. Very soon. So, yeah, so like we do it up. But anyway, like we've got... Uh, you know, the gang, you know, and love, uh, plus me. And I'm doing the, uh, the, I'm the, I'm the DM or I guess the, the GM. I always, for some reason, cause I started with Dungeons and Dragons, I always say DM. Um, but, uh, and we, I, I think our first, uh, two episodes were running through a scenario, like an actual scenario from the game that I had changed just a little bit. Um, but it's really fascinating because, this game like came out when there weren't a lot of rules for the Star Wars galaxy. And as a result, it ended up defining a lot of those rules. Yeah, uh, stuff fate, that's still considered sort of canon to this day. Right. In a weird way, it is. Like it, for a long time, it was literal canon and it, it, it explained the way everything worked. Um, so stuff like hyperspace, like uh, uh, space pirates, um, things like uh i'm not 100 percent sure about this but i think maybe lightsaber crystals might have been first um i think that was part of part of the background material but i don't know whether it was either this or the marvel comics the original marvel comics but stuff like that um came through this game and it still exists to this day in, in a it has a kind of a um kind of a weird position in in the eu materials uh 
because it's all legends, of course. But um, Pablo Hidalgo, who is, you know, a part of the story group and one of the people who makes a lot of the decisions about like how you know people ask him a question like for example recently um marvel comics had to ask him like do uh, chiss grow beards because they were doing a, an adaptation of the thrawn novel and they had to know like okay do you, he starts out like stranded on a planet does he have a beard and they had to talk about this and decide <laughs> uh that's the kind of stuff the story group actually does they don't literally write the stories um just so you know in case that uh, illusion persisted, but they do do that kind of stuff. And he actually contributed to some of these uh, books in the nineties. Um, that's have, how I, he got his start with Lucasfilm, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. I think it's how he got his foot in the door in a sense. Like it, I think it was the, whoever it was, who was writing the original like star Wars encyclopedia. I can't remember that guy's name, but um, there was a book came out. It was really wasn't an encyclopedia. It was more like a dictionary, but they called it an encyclopedia. And he had a huge uh, binder full of Star Wars canon information as it existed in the early 90s. And that stuff was uh, his like he was doing that. So because he was running some Star Wars D6 role playing games. And so he said, hey, if you if you're having uh, if I hear you're making a Star Wars encyclopedia, would you like to have a copy of my binder materials and so a couple years later when there was uh lucasfilm posted some job openings pablo applied and uh, uh that's how he kind of got his foot in the door because he was one of the guys who actually knew everything at a time when there weren't that many people like nowadays i think it's really i mean the, the canon is much smaller now of course but it's really like you know, there's people who made their entire YouTube careers kind of out of knowing all the details of what's canon and, and how things happen. But back in those days, that was not necessarily easy to do. So, yeah, like things like, uh, for example, the species of um, several aliens comes out of these books even now. I think Morof species, the big shaggy like Yeti guy from Rogue One. Right. Um, his species. Uh, so you see a lot of these details come out of the in the visual dictionaries because Pablo writes those. So um, he includes as probably as much uh, West End Games material as he can. Um, but it's also interesting because you look back and you can kind of get this idea of what the ideas were at the time. What did people assume was the backstory of Star Wars before the prequels existed? And mm -hmm. it's like. In some ways, it's actually surprisingly similar, but in other ways, it's really, really different. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating, like, even if you're not planning on getting a group together and playing the game, looking through the, the source books for the first edition specifically is a fascinating chunk of Star Wars time. Because, like you said, at this point, we had, you know, the original trilogy, the, the holiday special, um... You know, were the Ewok movies even out by this point? I think I think at least one of them, if not both of them, were out. There were the Marvel Comics, original Marvel Comics. Splinter of the um, Mind's Eye. Splinter of the Mind's Eye. The Brian, three Brian Daly Han Solo adventures, three El Neil Smith Lando adventures, and um, the droids and Ewoks cartoons, although mm -hmm. those probably were kind of quasi-canon even at the time. And I think that's basically it. There were also some like uh, read along kind of like cassette story tape things. Right. Although, again, oh, I'm not sure how. What about the radio dramas? Were those out? Oh, yes. The radio dramas. Uh, thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Those were, those were out, uh, the first two. And, uh, yeah, the, so that was, that was pretty much every, in the novelizations. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a fair amount of stuff when you, when you list it all off, it's a lot, but when you compare it to what we have like right now, yeah. like post 2012, like we're only, you know, yeah, we're only six years out from like the, the Canon reset, if even that, and we've got like four times as much material as they would have had six years after um, Return of the Jedi. So it's like there's no real comparison. And they had a what's interesting is that the game was written also like the, the original game materials were written right before um, Tim Zahn sat down to write the original um, kind of Thrawn trilogy of novels. So even those weren't out yet. Right. And what Lucasfilm licensing gave to him to help him. Cause he had, he's a science hard science fiction guy. I think maybe not hard, but like on the harder side, definitely not like on the fantasy side. And so he had a lot of questions like, how does hyperspace work? Like what do you know? How does this? Cause he's, that's how he writes. And I think Lucasfilm just told him, Hey, here, they gave him the, 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 first edition book in the source book and said, this is how things work. <laughs> yeah. Just stop asking us questions. We don't know. Um, and so I, I wish I could remember their names. Um, bit, I think it was like two or three guys from New Jersey who ended up coming up with most of this stuff. Um, and they did a damn good job. If I say so myself, it's like, there's some stuff that's weird now, uh, because it's, it can't possibly be canon anymore, but it is inventive in its own way. Um, and the way we play the game for Blue Harvest Adventures, we try to uh, avoid like weird canon disruptions as much as possible. But you know, at the end of the day, like there's some there's some stuff in the game that just assumes like this is how it works, and that's just not how it works anymore. Right. So we'll go with what the game does. But it's been kind of fun for me to try and work out a, a canon agnostic way of discussing things like what were the Clone Wars because they didn't know back then, but now we know. Right, so and, like, and if you look, there are some uh, interesting references to things like Jedi and the Clone Wars in that first rule book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and they definitely dance around it a little bit, but you know they, go, they also go there a little bit, too, and, and at least try to approach the subject. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, my favorite thing, I think my favorite part of it, like the, the, the time capsule part of it that I like the most is the um, uh, the character templates. And you have these character templates, and you, of course you can choose like the standard. You've got like the, you know, the rogue type character, the, uh, the uh, young like wannabe Jedi type thing. Like, you know, uh, I think a Wookiee might be an option, an Ewok is an option. Um, and then you've got some other characters that are just assumed to exist, and one of them is a failed Jedi. Right which is a really interesting idea because the player gets to use their imagination to decide why did this person, how does one fail out of the Jedi? Um, how does one get recruited to the Jedi? And, and uh, what did that mean? And uh, what would one be doing at this point if they, if they couldn't cut it and got kicked out or, or had to quit? They washed, it's like the, like the guy who goes through basic training for the Marines and, and, and just washes out, like just can't handle it. Um, like, what does that mean? And so that, that tells you right there, like, it's a very different idea of what the Jedi as an organization were, um, and how they worked. And, uh, 
you know, because those, those details just didn't exist at the time. Like George Lucas hadn't decided what he was going to do with it. And, you know, so he said, like, you know, just come up with a common sense explanation and my people will look over it. And if there's anything that looks like it might be encroaching on territory, I might want to visit in the future. They'll tell you. But otherwise, it just stayed in. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating look at a a much simpler time in Star Wars, for sure. Um, and it's crazy to think that first book came out probably uh, around the year I saw Star Wars for the first time. So I got, I think it was about the same. I know we're about the same age, uh, and it was probably the same for me. Like, I, I'm, at least for people my age, like, I think a lot of us saw, like, Star Wars, and what we saw was, like, Star Wars that was taped off of, like, HBO, probably on some like your one like uncle or aunt who had a, a, mm-hmm. had a HBA had cable TV back in those days, you could get star Wars and without commercials and they tape it and you just pass those tapes along. And I remember borrowing those tapes from my aunt, um, so I could watch them. And that's the first way I saw star Wars. Well, um, our buddy Rob here has prepared a special little preview for you guys of our first ep. Well, is it the first episode, or I is guess it technically from the second episode? Okay, I just I just wanted to pick a uh, an exciting moment and a funny moment, but one that doesn't like spoil anything about what happens because when you listen to it, it's like you know you're listening to a story. Yeah, so uh, we're going to play that for you guys now, and uh, you know if you're not part of the Patreon yet. Maybe go over and subscribe if you want to hear more. Uh, if you are part of the Patreon, then this will be an, a nice little preview of what you guys have coming up this coming week. So uh, here we go. Okay, so as Arden uh, works the computer, Reap alerts you. There are at least 12 stormtroopers on level one uh, outside the main shaft right above us. Uh, he doesn't really need to tell you that because you can see it for yourself. And they are led there by none other than uh, uh, ISB officer uh, Berez who has been taunting you over the PA system this whole time. I'm going to kill that guy. (laughs) Okay, so it would be definitely uh, a negative die to that difficulty roll. Right. You hear one of the troopers' uh, kind of distorted, uh, helmeted voices say, Sir, found the rebels. And Barris says, Then blast them! They mustn't escape! And uh, so the stormtroopers uh, fire at the officer's command, but the short tunnel uh, that is right in front of the blast door kind of puts their shots at an awkward angle. So the, 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 the blaster bolts are just kind of splatting on the ground, kicking up some dust, but not really, they're not going to hit you uh, as long as you don't. But, but then again, you also can't get out there to get a good shot at them because they're, they're pinning you down with their, with their fire. So um, uh, what did you say your technical role was? 12. Okay, so the door uh, starts to open, um, but but uh, stops just a few uh, centimeters off the ground. There's some some kind of issue uh, that uh, you didn't quite get it get it right. Maybe the door needs to be um, you need to do like a maintenance check on it. Who knows? This thing is so old. So um, there's uh, some, you feel a breeze coming in from the other side. So there might be an exit on the other side, for, as best you can tell. But you still haven't gotten the door open. Okay. So now. We're- so if we wanted to check it out and see what's going on with it, what kind of role would that be? I guess it'd be a perception role. You just try to, like, you just go prone okay. and then try to peek under the door. If I'm going to do that then. I'm, like, looking under the car, like, under a car, like a mechanic. A perception roll of 10. Mm. Okay, well, I mean, 
Yeah. So you see into the uh, you see into the, on the other side what appears to be a kind of large cavernous room. There is uh, you can see a brightness coming from the other side. It kind of hurts your eyes because you've been in the dark uh, or dim tunnels for so long. But uh, it's it's obviously coming from a, a sun or some other huge light source. You're pretty sure it's natural. Uh, there's not much else you can really see though, because uh, you're so low to the ground. Um, there's like a there's like a brownish reddish smear on the side of your face at this point because you had to get that low to the ground. Um, do you want to take another crack at the door? The stormtroopers are still shooting at you, and and now you notice that there's a couple scout troopers that are starting to secure harnesses to the to the to some um, tie-off points at the top, and they're probably going to try to rappel down. Arden, we got to get this door open. I just took another crack at the door. I got nine. Cool. I'm going to try it. Just throw it out there. Look. Twelve. Twelve. She got twelve. Okay, so the door the, the door uh, makes a uh, magnificently horrible noise, uh, but doesn't go anywhere. Reap, unsure why you didn't call on him before. Oh, uh, I forgot about volunteers him. his... Uh, volunteers his services and goes ahead and rolls his uh, technical skills here. He has more than enough to uh, get the door open, so he doesn't quite say, uh, if it, it's not he looks, droids don't have facial expressions, but you imagine that if he did it would be just kind of a puzzled look eyes uh, squinched, but uh, as it is, it's just like a, a translucent dome with some weird stuff inside and but you can swear you heard a sigh coming out of his uh, vocal transponder. The door opens all the way. The troopers are still shooting at you, and the, uh, the scout troopers are, 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 have already begun to rappel down. You can't really get a shot off at him very easily uh, from your distance um, and at that angle. But uh, you can't... Can Reek close the door from within, Simon? Uh, he can try. He's got to go inside first. Um, so you hear uh, Officer Barras calling after you. Don't get too comfortable down there, Rebels. And he uh, is readying a concussion grenade. Um, so you got to decide what you're going to do now. Go through the door and try to get the droid to close it. Yep. I think so Will is right on the money with that idea. Can I so, take a shot while they go inside? Is there a bunch of penalties? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, unless unless you... I mean, if you get like a critical... You know, like if, if your wild eye comes up a six, then yeah, I'd say you hit him. But other than that, uh, that's that's all you can do. So you can try. I was it. I was gonna try to pull off a shot at the guy with the concussion grenade because that would be awesome if he drops. Okay, that go for it. Go off for it. His buddies. That would be <clears throat> epic. Let's see what happens. No here. whammies. Big money. No whammies. No whammies. <laughs> Eleven. <No. laughs> all right. So um, nothing cool happens. I'm sure. Yeah, Arden tries to. Arden tries to. Uh, to uh, squeeze off a shot, um, since he has the blaster pistol, that's it's just too far away. Uh, he uh, startles uh, one of the troopers up there, but doesn't do much else. Luckily, yeah. So Beres uh, hucks the uh, concussion grenade down towards you, but um, it bounces off the ceiling, kind of continues on its path downward before exploding during its fall. When that happens, I go ha ha like Nelson. <laughs> the burst must have startled a nest of cave rocks. So they burst out of the uh, main shaft in a wild panic, knocking two of the five Rapung scouts down into the burning depths below. We have just moments until the remaining scouts arrive at the other side of the main shaft. And there you have it, guys. A little, uh, little preview of what we've uh, been working on. And might I say, 
Rob is the glue that holds this project together because, A, he's an excellent GM. Uh, and really, the basis of any good role-playing session is having a good game master. So, uh, Thank you. Thank you. I, I don't have a lot of GM experience, uh, to be honest. Um, very little. Uh, but... Um, that what helps me out is that it's so fun to listen to you guys interact with each other. And we've had like some funny, funny stuff happen. Like it is actually a very, it's definitely a more ribald version of star Wars than you might be used to, but oh, yeah. it, it, it's like, there's some repartee uh, I would say. So <clears throat> we had a little bit of star Wars news to discuss this week. Some pretty exciting stuff, I think. But before we do that, Rob, I want to present to you, what is now known as the Oscar Meyer incident from last week's episode, episode 158. Okay. okay. And I want to get your opinion on something here, buddy. All right. So I'm going to uh, share a little audio with you. So, you know, last week uh, on our regular episode, we were talking about uh, the casting announcement for episode nine. And mm -hmm. at the time I was reading from a statement, okay, off of StarWars.com. I want to make that clear. <laughs> and somehow, this happened, okay? Okay. Returning cast members include Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Oscar Mayer. Did you catch something there? <laughs> yeah, I did. I remember hearing that, actually, when I was listening to the show. How the <laughs> fuck, Oscar Mayer, do I say Oscar Mayer? I'm reading off of a statement. How does that happen? And, well, and not only yeah. that, Will and Jeremy just just let it fly by. They didn't even yeah. catch it. <laughs> I remember hearing that. I was uh, I kept I, I I thought maybe somebody mentioned something about it, but I, I guess they didn't. Well. What's funny is, so Saturday we had our, our live stuff that we were doing, pretty busy all day, hanging out with our buddy Joe, who came into town as well, and I'm, I'm checking Twitter occasionally, and I see somebody say, like, oh my god, Hall's just said Oscar Meyer instead of Oscar Isaac. I'm ah, like, maybe that, yeah. And I'm that like, oh, be. that's weird. I like the tweet with the attention of going back and looking at and re-examining what they said. <laughs> so then... Uh, we get home, I post the live episode, and I lay down to take a nap. And when I wake up, I'm re-examining my Twitter, and I see that tweet, and then I see a couple other people being like, oh my god, I love this podcast, Oscar Mayer, LOL, and things like that, right? <laughs> and then I start getting paranoid, and I, I tell Jesse, I think I called Oscar Isaac Oscar Mayer by accident. And she's cracking up, she thinks it's so funny. And then I start thinking... Oh, did I do that at the live show? Are these people that heard the live show? Like, because I'm not associating, you know what I'm saying? I'm a little confused. I just got up from a nap. Right. So then I start going through and listening to the audio on both shows when we talk about each thing. And it was, by Jesse's reaction, it was the funniest thing she's ever heard. Like, she was laughing and laughing. Oscar Meyer. And I don't. Uh, to this moment, I still don't know how I was reading a statement, and it says Oscar Isaac, and I say Oscar, Oscar Meyer. Meyer. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you know those. Have you ever seen those like uh, posters or something where it has like a whole paragraph of words, and each word is like the first letter of the word and the last letter of the word are where they should be, but all the letters in between are scrambled. But your brain will will sort it out automatically, right? Okay, okay. I maybe know what you're maybe that's about. what's going on. Is like <laughs> your brain just naturally defaults to Oscar. Mine. You got hot dogs on the brain. It might be a Freudian thing. Uh, It's either hot dogs or bologna. I got something on the brain. Some meat-based, processed, assholes and lips meat product on the brain, apparently, dude. Like, And you know what's funny is that Saturday we were hanging outside of uh, the place where the con was going on, and they had a bunch of food trucks, and they had this place called like Devil Dogs that did fancy mm. hot dogs. And I was sitting there talking, and I was like, man, I could go for a hot dog right now. I haven't had a hot dog in forever. I bet you devil dogs is good. So clearly, there's something inside me that needs a hot dog. Yeah, or or another, like, you know, cylindrical meat tube, right? So I'm like all said, about it them. A, it could be a Freudian thing, right? I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm all about them cylindrical meat tubes, my man. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's... it's uh... It's the reason why I'm here, <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, that's so fu- like, I got to say, like, it's been, I mean, first of all, like as a, as a, a person who does podcasts and has been doing them since 2011, I got to say like you blue harvest, I don't think is like barely missed a week. Uh, it's like maybe happened once or twice, I guess, but that's like almost nothing, you know, like, so, you know, there's a lot of time spent on Mike and you know, this stuff happens. I got to tell you, you want, you want to hear my most embarrassing podcasting, like, like, you know, live mic story? Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I used to do um, a show called Game Club 1990X. It was, an, I mean, basically it was, it was still the Hardcore Gaming 101 show. It was just a different concept. And we were supposed to be talking about games for, like, we'd, every month we'd play, like, a different game. And uh, then we'd, like, we'd we had a forum and we'd like talk, like try and work our way through it without looking at any other guides, only using each other as help. And, uh, and then you talk about it and these things would go on. It was like some, now this is podcasting business here where the, the episodes would be like three and a half hours long. Right. The recording sessions would always start at night. Of course, that's the only time anybody does anything with podcasts. And, uh, I had a headset mic at the time, which is a stupid idea. Don't ever do that. Um, but, uh, and then I would just like, I was like, ah, man, I don't want to be standing cause I have a standing desk. That's how I do my work for my regular job. It's how I do my uh, podcasting stuff. I'm standing up. I'm standing up at this moment. It helps me stay focused, but it was getting late. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to sit down in my chair and I've got, you know, this thing's got a long cord. I'm going to sit down in my chair. And so they're talking, I'm talking and, uh, Suddenly, when you listen back to the recording, I'm not talking anymore. And then a few minutes later, you just hear this horrible snoring sound come out of my channel. Did you faint? <laughs> oh, I fell asleep. Uh, fa- I straight up fell asleep. I was I was uh, sawing logs, man. Oh, 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 oh man. But the, the weirdest thing is uh, that right, like, I'd say right before I just, like, lost consciousness right right before i fell asleep i start talking i answer like somebody asks a question i answer it and the stuff that comes out of my mouth is 
absolute gibberish. Like it, I'm not gibberish. It's, it's their real words. They're real sentences, but they don't make any sense. Like it's just a bunch of stuff that was going through my brain right before it shut down. And I looked this up later because I was like, that can't be right. Like, why would I say those things? Because I'm saying like, I can't remember the exact words, but it's something like, you know, like Florida in the 1980s was like ground zero for the martial arts phenomenon, but it didn't really have like sort of the plastic tray kind of originalism that they were looking for. <laughs> and, and, and then I just go to, and then everybody else is like, oh, okay. All right. I don't know. I don't know what you meant by that, but then they just keep going. And then like five minutes later, you just hear this. <laughs> yes. <you know>, like <laughs> this. <laughs> oh, but now, uh, luckily I was also the editor of that show. So I made sure to cut that out, but now everybody knows my shame. Um, that really happened. That's the worst thing. I've, that is a million times worse than Oscar Meyer. I don't know, man. Uh, I, well, it, I think they're both, they, they both have their merits of, podcasting embarrassment but call him poor oscar isaac oscar meyer and now like people have been like you gotta do a shirt of a, of a guy in a hot dog costume dressed up like an x-wing pilot <laughs> and things like that <laughs> fucking oscar meyer my dude or you oscar could have like meyer. uh poe dameron driving the wiener mobile through space right oh oh like the wiener mobile maybe put some x-wing wings on it oh oh hell yeah yeah, Ooh, that's a Did good you have one. That, uh, I think like for a certain period, like the Wienermobile was like really in. I had like a Wienermobile Hot Wheel when I was a kid. I remember <clears throat> when the Wienermobile was a thing, and th weren't there like Wiener Wiener whistles? Like if oh, if you actually yeah. encountered the Oscar Minor Wienermobile, they'd hand out Wiener whistles. So next time you see like uh, Oscar Isaac like walking down the red carpet, if you're ever at a premiere, you just bring out the wiener whistle and just be like, <laughs> it summons Oscar Isaac. That's how. Yeah. That's the only way he signs to a movie, is if the director summons him with the the blessed wiener whistle of Oscar Meyer. It it freaks me out how talented that guy is. Oh, I I watched. Uh, Ex Machina for like the second time the other day. They put it up on Netflix. And he and Domhnall Gleeson both kill it in that movie. And even in movies that aren't that great, Oscar Isaac is awesome in them. Like that dude is a talented dude for sure. I think the only time I've ever seen a performance of his where I was like, I don't even, you know, where I wasn't like blown away was in uh, what was the X-Men Apocalypse or something like that, Age of Apocalypse, where he played Apocalypse. the X-Men villain. Yeah, and it was like he was just under so much like makeup and stuff. Like he had no – and the character, of course, like is not like a charismatic character. And it didn't really work for me. But like I watched the entirety of Inside Lewin Davis, which is not like an amazingly engaging film. Um and he's 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 the star, you know, has the starring role in that one. And I was transfixed. Like he's such an asshole in that movie, but, but you just like watching, you're like you're totally engaged. Have you seen that one? I have. I have. Um, what do you think? You know, not exactly. I mean, he's great in it and there's other great performances in it, but not necessarily my type of movie. You know what I'm saying? Had a yeah, severe lack of space shit and swords and whatnot, <laughs> magic or superheroes, you know? I mean, it was a Coen Brothers movie, but it wasn't like the like the Coen Brothers movies where like, people are getting 
put into wood chippers and stuff. Like, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so you, you kind of brought it up. Uh, so for the, any of our listeners that don't know, our buddy Rob here sort of pilots the ship on a very well done um, video game podcast. And I always, I know the name. It's it's Hardcore Gaming 101, top and then a crazy number video games yeah, yeah. of all time. But if people look up just Hardcore Gaming 101, that does bring it up, I believe, right? Yeah, like you'll find the website first, probably. Um, there's a website. It, it's it's done by my buddy Kurt. Uh, he's he's been doing it for years now, and it's like it is a like a video game website for people who want to know. Like you don't just want to know about like this game. You want to know about this series of games. You want to know everything about it. Like if there was like a a an, a version of the game that only came out on like Korean cell phones, they'll have it. Right. Like, that's the level of detail they go into. And then, so the podcast is a little bit different. And what we do is it's like the, it is a crazy number, but the, I came up with a name cause nobody else would come up with a name. And I was like, well, how about we call it the top 47,858 games of all time. And the idea was that like, surely this name is so bad. Somebody else will be forced, compelled to come up with a better name. And they, nobody did. So we're stuck with it. And uh, the idea is like we get games nominated by listeners um, and they say, I want you to rank this game. And then we rank that game on the list of games that have already been ranked. So right now there's probably like 350 games on the list. And now the, the show is three times a week. It is one game per show now. And we do um, uh, it usually comes out. There's one game that will come out on Tuesday, one game that will come out on Thursday. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, like two two bucks a month, really cheap, um, you get a third game on Friday. And and we rank these games. And so right now, like the top game is Tetris, and the bottom game is like some godforsaken like Commodore 64 game that I've never played before that you can't even finish because it's broken as hell. Um, so like it really runs the gamut, but you never know what we're going to talk about. I think our most recent episodes that came out were about, um, I don't even think I was on them. There are other people who do the show too. I'm, I'm just kind of like the producer and the main host, but I'm not always there And Hawes. You were on one where we did, uh, Knights of the old Republic, which was, yes. I think it was last December. It was an excellent episode. That's actually um, where we birthed the idea for Blue Harvest Adventures because you mentioned something about the West End video games or West End role-playing games and you were like, man, I would I would love to get a podcast of that together. And I jumped in and was like, uh, dude, if you want to do that, let me know because I'm down. I forgot about that. You're right. You did say that. That is where it happened. Yeah. I know I, I forgot. I had a blast recording that show. What is interesting and what I actually really like about your video game podcast is you and all your co-hosts know your shit dude like and to a level that baffled me like when we started talking about knights of the old republic i'm like oh yeah i, I love that game you know you get to be a jedi swing around a <laughs> lightsaber and then one of your co-hosts gunheart it, he goes in deep on the mechanics and the systems behind the combat and stuff and like yeah. it felt like a serious education. I came away learning something being on a podcast. 
And yeah. I yeah. dig that kind of stuff. Like, you know, if, if you're into video games and you like video game, like knowledge, I can't recommend it enough. Oh, thanks for saying that. Um, I, yeah, we try to always have at least one person on each show that knows like more than the average bear about whatever we're talking about. And then everybody else is usually, um, uh, more or less like a casual fan or outsider or something. And in some cases, like I'll do games where I, I've, uh, only played it like that night, right, right before recording. Um, but there's always somebody there who knows a lot. And, uh, yeah, um, that episode, yeah, Gunhart know, knew a lot about that game and uh, stuff I did not know. Um, and I thought I knew Knights of the Old Republic pretty well. Yeah, me too, buddy. And boy, did I find out that I didn't. What What's nice about it, though, is like on the show, like when people are going to do like a well, actually, like they don't make it a well, actually. Right, right. I never felt like. They were being like, oh, you know Star Wars? You know Knights of the Old Republic? Let me learn you something, boy. It was it was a discussion. And in within that discussion was a lot of info I had no idea about. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's an it's a niche podcast, even among there's I mean, you think there's a lot of Star Wars podcasts. There's like quadruple that and then to the nth power is the number of video game podcasts. It's like way too many. Um, but it's like it's kind of unique in that like it does have that kind of super nerd angle to it but it's more like to me like i i'm not like a i'm a movie fan i wouldn't consider myself like a movie buff like i didn't go to film school or anything like that but i love hearing people who know a lot about how movies are made and how they i love hearing them talk about stuff that i've seen because it just it it's engaging to me and um and it's the same. I mean, I have another show that's not nearly as regular as as Hardcore Gaming 101, but it is about Star Wars, and um, it's called Wookie Genome Project. And it's kind of like whenever I, I have a chance to do a show, and whenever I have an idea, we do it. So maybe like average one episode every three weeks or something. But it's the same concept where I try to find somebody who knows a whole lot about one topic within Star Wars or within. Um, you know, the broader sphere of geekery that applies to Star Wars. And we just like talk about something for an hour. And I have had King Tom on the show. Uh, Emily Lynn has been on several. Eric Struthers uh, has been on several. I mean, it's, it, it, we, we've, we just kind of do whatever. Bringing the fucking heavy hitters, my dude. I mean, the people who will do, uh, yeah. I mean, the, I think Eric recorded those episodes before he had his own he had a single podcast of its own now he's got like three two or three um so yeah i mean but in, in emily too she didn't have a podcast when she started doing it and now she's got uh, a great one um yeah. a couple great ones but uh i mean you know it, it, but the idea was the same is like just find people who who know a lot about what they're talking about and let him talk without being condescending to the audience. And like, to me, that's the most fun is just to learn and listen and not, uh, feel like I'm being lectured to, not feeling like I'm being condescended to just by somebody who's like, Oh, well, you know, I mean, cause it's all stupid information. You know, it's not like you're going to even, even it's even like sub jeopardy, I would say. Right. 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 Like there's never going to be a question on jeopardy where they're like, how does a hyperspace interdictor cruiser work? It's like they'll never ask you that. Um, 
but uh, some people know that information. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good time. It's a good time. And one of the things I like about it is, you know, you guys definitely cover lots of stuff I'm familiar with. Like you recently did like a Dark Souls 2 episode. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to listen to it yet, but like Ninja Gaiden, Gaiden Black, you guys are covering. Um, I think that's the latest one that you guys put out, at least from my yeah. podcast yeah, notifications. But then you guys will cover games I have no idea about. And then that leads me to want to check them out and, you know, so see if I can get my hands on them or dive into them. So what's the game that we covered when you were on the show? That was like, it was something that none of us had played before we decided to do it. Cause we wanted to come up with a star Wars themed game, but one that was kind of off the beaten path. I the can't... attack of the mutant camels. Is that what it's called? That's right. That's right. It's yeah. the, it was the homebrew sort of remake of the Atari empire strikes back game. Correct. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The Atari Empire Strikes Back game. Yeah, that was that's cool. So you're like a snow speeder and you're shooting at ats and it's a lot of fun. And then this guy in England um, uh, is like a really big fan of like dromedaries and other like <laughs> weird pack animals like llamas and stuff. And so he came up with a game where you're a spaceship shooting gigantic camels. And it's just like that. But it's actually a little bit better. Um, yeah, it's it's it. You know, it's very similar to the Atari Empire Strikes Back game, but improved. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's nuts. But it's I mean, that just tells you, like, that was the the Empire Strikes Back game predates, I think, the Star Wars arcade game. The classic, like, you know, one with the voice samples and the right. sit down cabinet. That might be the first good Star Wars video game ever made. Uh, speaking of Star Wars arcade games. Yeah. So Jesse and I are looking at moving in a year or two, within the next year or two. And, you know, we've been looking at houses and stuff and just trying to get an idea ahead of time. And my one thing that I really want when we move is a finished basement. Uh, Basements are pretty common in our area because it's so mountainous and hilly. So Mm -hmm. it's not one of those things that's hard to come by. But my re- main reasoning is, is like, oh, if, if we have a finished basement, then, you know, I can set up my podcast studio in there and my Star Wars display. And I was thinking, hey, if it's big enough, maybe I can finally fulfill my dream of getting a Star Wars arcade machine or a Star Wars pinball machine. Ooh. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so then I start digging into the world of Star Wars arcade machines and Star Wars pinball machines and that dream did not last long because that shit is expensive. Oh, yeah? Especially pinball machines. I was not aware that pinball has had sort of a resurgence in recent years. And I was yeah. sort of reading up because, um, like, you know, this there's this company called Stern who produces a lot mm-hmm. of the newer licensed um pinball machines and they just put out a new star Wars one or they're about to, I don't know if it's out yet. Um, so I was looking at that and then I was looking at, you know, the original, I think there's one that's called the original trilogy pinball machine and, or the special edition pinball machine. Um, they made one for Phantom Menace and like they're expensive. We're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. Same yeah. thing with the arcade machines. Yeah. 
So I don't know. Maybe one day. But uh, the, the thing that would worry me about investing in a Star Wars pinball machine is the maintenance of said right. pinball machine. It's like it's like as complicated as a mechanical watch, which I'm guarantee you maybe at most 0.05% of your listeners actually have. Nobody has these things anymore, but they're so complicated and they're huge. And I think almost all the Star Wars pinball machines would have come out in the 90s or later, which means that that was like the era where like everything was like super complicated because that's mm-hmm. the only way you can get people's attention. Like some of the most uh, revered uh, complex pinball machines, I think, came out in the 90s, like the Adams Family. Yep. Uh, movie had a, a famous pinball machine. What about? There's another one I really liked as a kid, the Twilight Zone. How? What do you? Oh, you, you played that when you were when in the wild, like when you were a kid. Like, yeah. Uh, sorry, in the wild is like a video game. Yeah. Like arcade thing. It just means like you saw one in real life, like you. It wasn't like in somebody's house. It wasn't mm-hmm. like at a trade show. It was, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, that one's crazy. I, there's a uh, in Asbury Park, New Jersey. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I live in New Jersey, same as uh, as uh, your boy Johnny Grasso. Um, we've uh, met in person, but we've never. I, I was just in Tom's River today. Actually, um, I was in court in Tom's River. I did not uh, contact Johnny because I knew that he would be working. Right. And I didn't want to like convince like him to talk me into like staying longer than I had to. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like in Asbury park, which is probably about like 20, 30 minutes from, from where Johnny Grasso lives, uh, there's a pinball museum that you pay like 10 bucks and go play for like an hour. And they've got a lot of those games. It's really cool. They've got an Adams family. They've got twilight zone. Just look up YouTube, like twilight zone or Adams family pinball machine. Just find somebody playing it. You won't believe, you won't believe what they accomplished. It is bizarre. When I was a kid, there was this place called Diamond Gems. It was our local arcade. You know, it's where I played Street Fighter Two for the first time, Mortal Kombat for the first time. Uh, and they had an impressive collection of pinball machines. They had Medieval Madness, which is another one of Ooh. mine that I really like. That's kind of like sort of their take on um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's like sort of a comedy-based medieval table. Yeah. Um, and they had a couple of Star Wars tables. I don't know which one it was. It was that has the actual model of the X-wing in the table. Um, they had a Nightmare in Elm Street one that I was obsessed with. I think it was based off of Nightmare in Elm Street Five, maybe. Um, <clears throat> but yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, pitball tables are like. I mean, this has nothing to do with Star Wars for the most part, but. Um, the episode one table is really cool. As I recall, I think I have some, uh, vague memories of playing it and I agree. They had one in like a Walmart, like back when Walmarts used to have, like when you go in the opening, they would have like a handful of arcade machines and maybe one or two pinball machines, like around (laughs) the, um, you know, the drink machines and stuff. You know what I think killed that is that like parents no longer abandon their children in stores anymore. Oh, for real. I don't think that happens. I, I don't think it does either because that's exactly where my parents would deposit me. They would rather yeah. give me a few quarters to let me play Mortal Kombat than have me follow them around Walmart and be like, hey, can we go to look at Star Wars toys? 
and try to talk them into getting me yeah, like a, yeah. a Star Wars toy or something. Here you go, little horse. You play some Mortal Kombat. You rip some man's spine out. <laughs> Just go ahead and do it. So uh, this week, you know, last week they announced the cast and that filming would start on August 1st. And, well, August 1st came. And uh, we were surprised when J.J. Abrams showed up on Twitter and posted the first behind-the-scenes picture from production. And he actually had a nice uh, tweet that went along with it, sort of, you know, addressing the fact that they're going forward without Carrie involved. And uh, this is what he had to say. Bittersweet starting this next chapter without Carrie. But thanks to an extraordinary, extraordinary cast and crew, we are ready to go. Grateful for Ryan Johnson and special thanks to George Lucas for creating this incredible world and beginning a story of which we are lucky to be a part. And, um, you know, it's a, a green tinted picture uh, with the camera in the foreground. And you can kind of play a little bit of Where's Waldo with what's going on in the background, which people have doing. They've been uh, breaking this down like the JFK footage. Since it came out. <laughs> like the Zapruder film. The yeah. Zapruder film. That's right. Back and to the left. Well, if you look. Back to the left. <laughs> if you look okay. back and to the left on the picture, uh, it looks like we might get a little glimpse of what Finn's rocking in this movie. And it looks like he's going the vest route. Finn goes fishing. Episode nine. And uh, maybe get a little glimpse of Chewy as well. Um, looks like it's the cockpit of the Falcon. For it's all intents be. and purposes. So, um, you know, that was cool. It was nice to see something from Star Wars and, uh, you know, Episode nine, uh, Episode nine's production still baffles me that we're that close to the end of this, uh, this trilogy. Um, I'm, I'm really part of me keeps like suspecting that it's like they're pretending like it's going to be a trilogy and then they're going to like write this movie and be like, oh, wait, no. Like, I mean, they've already written it, of course, but they're like, we'll say it's a trilogy, but won't people's minds be blown if we say it's like a quadrilogy? Right. And like, because it really, I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this, Hoss. I'm just going to throw this out there. I feel like uh, episodes uh, four through eight are kind of like uh, the Luke Skywalker, like, I don't know what you say, quintology, quintilogy. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like those four, five movies are kind of like especially the way that eight ended that's like that's the entire luke skywalker story and that really ray's story is just beginning and right so I, I i hope that they don't like try to end that too early in episode nine yeah um, just just to just to maintain the trilogy concept it seems like artificial to me i agree 100 percent with you like you know, back before The Force Awakens came out, you know, I always said on the show and stuff, their biggest hurdle was introducing characters to us that we can be in, as invested in as those original trilogy characters, right? Right. And I feel specifically with Ray that they've done that. I also enjoy Finn and Poe, Rose, you know, all the new players in this trilogy, but it still feels like we're waiting for that pass the torch moment, you know? And, you know, I, I know there were people that were upset with sort of how Luke was handled, but, you know, you were talking about Timothy Zahn earlier, right? 
And one of the things mm-hmm. he had to do with Heir to the Empire was, you know, within the first chapter or so of that book, he writes off Obi-Wan as a Force ghost. He has, has to, he, I think. Right. And, and, and he basically explained um, there was a really nice annotated version of that first book that came out like shortly after the Disney purchase. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. And he kind of explains in that that the reason he did that is because if Obi-Wan's ghost was there to always help Luke, Luke would, you know, at some point Luke needs to make it on his own, right? And right. I want that for for Ray is basically, you know, is the long way for me to get about saying that is like I want Ray to become her own person. And, you know, with a time jump and and once again, you know, Mark Hamill has been announced to be in this movie, so we're getting Force Ghost Luke. But I, you know, I don't think we're gonna get a ton of him, you know. If we got more more Luke than we got Obi-Wan in Return of the Jedi, it would be surprising to me. Yeah, it would be also weird because like like I said, like Luke's story is kind of over. Like what he did was he like why episode eight is brilliant regardless of what anyone says or thinks is like it, it settled like Luke come uh, like kind of becomes at peace with like the legend of Luke Skywalker. Right. Like he, he like decided that like the first time I saw episode eight, like no joke, I'm not kidding. Like you can go back and listen to the Wookiee genome project episode where it's just like 30 minutes of me, like right after I came home from that, I thought I hated it. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I thought that I was like, I think I hate this movie. And I said, and, and, and I was like, I think I hate this movie. And I say that as somebody who enjoyed it from beginning to end, it was that kind of feeling where I was like, I had so much fun, but I think I hate it. And the reason why I thought I hated it is because I was not expecting everything to be over. And at first I was like, I feel like I don't even care what happens next. And then the second time I watched it, um, the second time I watched it, I watched it with my, my uh, wife, my son, um, who really enjoyed it. And after watching it a second time, I was like, I don't even care what happens next. I'm having a great time. Like, this is good. Like they, like it, it, it was the weirdest thing, but that was it. Like I didn't like the kid scene at the, at the end the, the broom kid. The first time I watched it, because I was like, that is weird. No Star Wars movie would ever do that. Like, George, right. Uncle George would not uh, break the movie to to uh, show some character we've barely seen and how they react to something. But then I realized, no, this is like the bookend to Luke Skywalker's story. And they're, they're trying to show that what he did has meaning. And that he, he embraced the legend at the last moment. Um I can't remember why I was talking about this. I got carried away with Broom Kid. <laughs> uh, um, we were talking about Ray, and uh, yeah, yeah. So it would it would be it would be crappy if uh, Luke showed up at the in Episode Nine and like solved all the problems, because then it's like, well, this is that's Ray's job now. Like she's made her mistakes in Episode Eight. Now she's got to deal with it. This is her. Like she's carrying on the tradition that she barely understands. And that's what's interesting about it. If Luke shows up and he just solves her problems for her and does like, you know, like I'm a force ghost. Here's some magic. Boo, boo, boo. Right. Problem solved. (laughs) That sucks. Like, you know, like maybe, maybe the people who hated last Jedi would love it, but I don't think they really like 
good stories, to be honest. Like, that's just how I feel. Like, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not saying, like, if you didn't like Last Jedi, you're a bad person or anything. But, like, I didn't like the story at first, but I got to admit, that's a damn good story. Like, uh, so I really feel like, you know, for all intents, of pur- intents and purposes, episode nine is basically going to be the first solely Ray story, if that makes sense, because episode seven yeah. focuses so much on Han and eight focuses so much on Luke. <clears throat> and to me, like, I want more than one movie sort of devoted to Ray. Um, me too. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, they, they, they've said for a while and they even reiterated it in the statement, like the press release about the cast, Oscar um, Meyer, that they, this is the last movie in the Skywalker saga. I really hope that that is the case. Like I'm fine with that being the end of the Skywalker story, the story of the Skywalker family. But and by I, that, do you mean like you think Kylo Ren should should be done? I I am of the opinion that Kylo is will be redeemed, but I don't know. And and this is just from my limited you know ideas. Like I'm not Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams who has to write this movie, but I feel like. Kylo can be redeemed, but it, it's almost necessary at this point that it has to be through a self-sacrifice of some sort, right? I yeah, I mean, but uh, the problem is, it's like there's nothing that uh, the First Order can throw at the rest of the galaxy at this point that would be worse than Kylo. That's what kind of worries me about like, the idea of like, oh, it's the end of the Skywalker saga, is because it's like, oh, that sounds like they're going to kill Kylo Ren. But then if they were going to kill Kylo Ren, I don't think they would say so. So That's true. I, I like I I'm kind of of the camp that thinks that like, like uh Luke's ghost is going to appear and his his most important thing he does is going to be to say like Ray, you have no last name, right? Like you should tell people you're Ray Skywalker. That's what maybe like people of the galaxy's calling her that anyway. They're like this is Luke Skywalker's last student. Like right. she's going to carry on the legacy and she's like, I don't want that responsibility. Like I don't, I barely understand what I'm doing. Like you didn't teach me anything. Uh, and he's like, no, you taught me something. That means that you know what you need to know. And as far as I'm concerned, you are my, uh, like you, you are what, what, what I want to survive me in this, in this life. You are Ray Skywalker, embrace it. And, um, but I don't know whether that's going to, be how it happens i just feel like i feel like kylo can't die because there's nothing to replace him as an enemy snoke's dead right is a joke and all they've got the first order the only scary thing they can bring to bear is kylo so i feel like he's got to be competent he can't be a joke uh i mean you know i'm sure there's a way of doing it that i i'm not a professional writer like you said the same issue Maybe there's a way of doing it. I never occurred to me, but I feel like what would be the most daring thing to do would be to not have Kylo redeem himself, not have Kylo die and just be like, who knows what happens next? Yeah. And then like, Oh, so you, your, your idea is that there is some resolution to the story, but 
Kylo is still a bad guy at the end of episode nine and still sort of the leader of the first order. But he thinks he's a good guy. Like that's the important thing about right. every good, bad guy. Like Darth Vader, we've already done the, the thing where the bad guy is just a bad guy. And all he cares about is doing evil. And even that could, could barely last two movies before they had to change it to make Darth Vader a more sympathetic character. Um, like I call this like the Magneto concept. Um, I talked about this a lot with Emily Lind, uh, in the Wookiee genome project. And I can't remember what movie we were talking. About. I think it was Gunga Dean. Um, we were talking about that. Um, and talking about how like the best bad guys, are the ones who are 90% correct, but the 10% where they're wrong is that they're doing it the wrong way. And what if, <sighs> What if Kylo Ren sought to be a good leader, like a supreme leader of the galaxy? And he was trying to impress his mother because Snoke's dead, Luke's dead, Han's dead. Who's left for him to impress? There's Rey ah. and there's and there's uh, Leia. Okay. So what if he tries to be good and just his way of being good is awful? I, I think that's an imp uh, interesting way to approach it, for sure. Um, I just have a feeling that the quote-unquote saga movies, the episodic movies, hold so much weight with just not just Star Wars fans, but the general public, that there will be an episode 10. And I really hope, you know, that is the continued story of Rey. Um, you know, there's always the possibility that they set it far into the future after Ray, but we see the effect of what Ray built and, and brought to the galaxy after the sequel trilogy. But to me, that would almost leave me a little like wanting more Ray is basically what I'm going to say. You know, like it'll leave some potential with that character on the table that I would rather see in a movie than books that fill in, you know, a, a, a time gap between episode nine and 10. Um, I don't think it will be out two years after episode nine. I think there will be a break. I think that's apparent enough with just the two trilogies that they've announced, you know, that are forthcoming. <clears throat> but, I, you know, I, unless there's some kind of crazy long time jump in, in, in between eight and nine, I can't really see them bringing Ray to her absolute full potential. Uh, I feel that, you know, she's going to carry on the legacy of the Jedi. We may not see it in nine, but I think it will, you know, eventually be that she rebuilds the Jedi order. Um, hopefully it just doesn't get fucked up this time. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's interesting is like how the sequel trilogy is really built upon in a lot of ways, like, people's reactions to the prequel trilogy. And I think that when the prequel trilogy was envisioned, I don't believe that uncle George, um, really wanted the Jedi to be come off so terribly, but by the second movie, by attack of the clones, he realized now I've got to make that. I've got to make Darth Vader's like, you know, person, like the person who became Darth Vader has to rebel against something. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they they decided like he decided like I have to make the Jedi something kind of negative. Right, and, right. And 
as a result, like this is what's brilliant about Uncle George, I think, is that like he just looked at each movie when he was writing it is like, what what do I want to happen here? What needs to happen here? And he didn't care about like, what did I intend five years ago? What did I intend 15 years ago? I don't think he cared about that. Like, for sure like, he didn't, because when yeah. you look at the the elements that he established throughout the years, they they constantly change, you know? Yeah, like, so I, I feel like that's what's interesting about episode eight in particular is the way that it deals with that. It's like, well, now that we have the prequel trilogy, we realize the Jedi maybe weren't that great. And you don't want to just restart them exactly as they were. And Luke's decision, at least at first, is like, well, it's my decision to make. I'm going to end it right now, right here and now. Like, I can't do this. Uh, my teacher, his student, turned evil, became space Hitler. That was a bad thing. My student became evil, became the new space Hitler, space Hitler Jr. That was bad. Maybe this is not a great tradition to pass on to people. Like, maybe I should just, like, call it quits. And then he, like, and he learns about, like, oh, the Jedi, like, they just let, like, the president of the galaxy uh, was this, this evil Sith Lord. They didn't even notice, and they led a slave army into battle without caring about it or asking any questions. Like, maybe this is not a good tradition to carry on. He's right. But he's wrong in the sense that I think that, like, what Ray was saying is, like, no, it can be what people think it should be. Like, what people believe the Jedi to be, what people believe the Jedi were before they saw the prequel trilogy, that's still the ideal. We always dream that the Jedi were virtuous and, and, and great and they can be, but that's like the, the power of movies maybe. Yeah. And you know, one of my favorite elements of the prequel trilogy is sort of Palpatine's plan or, or how he brings the Jedi down from sort of the inside, you know, like I really like that it wasn't just you know, this, it was more complex than I expected as a kid on how the Jedi were brought down. I thought it was going to be like sort of just a betrayal by Anakin, Darth Vader, and, and you know, he starts killing the Jedi and, um, and things like that. But the fact that, you know, Palpatine sort of played them all, I thought was a pretty interesting twist to put on that in a, in a way to approach it. It's, it is. And the fact that, that like his plan was so obviously crooked that and they didn't notice it is interesting like i gotta admit like i don't want to get too political but i'm just saying like the way that like you say like why would anybody accept this kind of person as their leader like this is so obviously wrong <laughs> but everybody goes along with it i kind of get it now in a way recently that i didn't get it before whereas like oh okay so he because he was talking, he was thinking about President Nixon, who was like a very smooth operator kind of guy, where he, in the right conditions, he could have just seized power and like said, No, I'm president for life, deal with it. And that's what Lucas was talking about. But we're seeing a similar kind of thing. Like, I don't want to, like I, I said, I don't want to get too political, but I'm just saying, like, regardless of how you feel about the current president, you can see how people will just turn a blind eye to things. It's like, 
oh, that that could be really shady, but I don't want to think about it because I like this guy. Like he's getting things done in a way that I like them to get done. Therefore, I'm okay with it. I'm going to like just look the other way. And that's kind of like you see that in the Jedi there. You don't see in the prequel trilogy like regular people being like, I think Palpatine's great. Like you never see like a voter like, you know, the, the John Q voter in Coruscant in those movies. Right. The only barometer you have for what Palpatine's doing is the Jedi. And he's like, well, we don't know who founded this uh, army of like slave clones, but we do have a war. So you Jedi are here by order to go fight in this war and you will command these slave soldiers. And the Jedi are like, okay, yeah, I guess and, we don't have a choice. And it's like, and then you realize, oh no, they, they don't know what else to do. Yeah. And, and even when you factor in sort of like the fall of Count Dooku, like to me, and, and I know people sort of go back and forth on this, but it, to me, it seems almost like Count Dooku started off almost in the right. You know, he left the Jedi Order, like things that have been established in like Clone Wars and stuff. He left the Jedi Order after Qui-Gon's death and and was sort of got the sense of what was coming. And in the process of that ends up becoming the thing and part of the thing that he was against, you know, but he feels like like even in Attack of the Clones when they have Obi-Wan captured, Dooku straight up tells him the truth like the senate is being run by a sith lord um you know he's doing that old sith thing where he's trying to get obi-wan to his side and clearly he probably wants to do that so they can overthrow palpatine because he's he's in it at that point he is a sith lord at that point but you know there's there's some interesting stuff in that regard in the prequels and i think yeah um I feel like the Clone Wars, the cartoon really brought that out of those movies because those movies did not have the time to spend on those issues where you could really like the movies, the prequel trilogy never explains to you what that war is being fought over. No. And, and it never explains to you what the deal is with sifo which is like they they name drop sifo a couple of times in Attack of the Clones and then it's never brought up again. Do you and, know the story behind that? Yes, uh, I'm a little I'm a little fuzzy on it, but the whole thing with Sifo-Dyas is Sifo-Dyas had a vision, right? That there was a war coming that the oh. Sith were going to try and overthrow. So he went rogue and paid Wait, for. Do you, do you know where? Why it's Sifo-Dyas? Oh, like, the name. Why? Why? Why is it? Why is that? Where does that come from? Yeah, I have no clue. Originally. In the original script for Attack of the Clones, George Lucas wrote Cytodias, in other words, Sidious, right? And it was going to be a thing like, oh, it was a Jedi Master Cytodias who commanded this. And that was the secret is that the audience would know, oh, it's Darth Sidious who did this, oh. which, which it really was. And then when it, he, he write, uh, Uncle George wrote all his scripts out longhand on like legal pads. Right. And his secretary, um, whoever it was at the time, would type it up and and make the the typewritten script. And she, his handwriting is terrible, and I uh, sympathize with this as somebody who also has terrible handwriting. Um, so uh, Uncle George's secretary thought she read Sido Diaz, 
and he and she wrote it down that way and uh george thought oh i like that better because it's not so obvious we'll just say syphodius and then the audience will have to use their brains and their imaginations to figure out syphodius like does that mean it was literally Dracidius, or does that mean it was uh, some other person in and uh that's where it came from wow and then as George does, he likes to change things around from time to time. And then it was changed to actually be Sifo-Dias. There, a di- a there was a real Sifo-Dias, yeah. And, and that, was, that was an invention later. But the idea was to solve that mystery in episode three. But if you, anybody has seen episode three, which I'm guessing is everybody listening to the show, knows that there's a lot of stuff packed into that movie and barely any time to deal with it. It's like it goes through so much stuff so quickly. They didn't have time. Um, so it finally gets dealt with in the Clone Wars. And that is the right time to do it, I think. Because you have time to deal with, like, why is the war being fought? Who's who's fighting it? What are they upset about? Like, that's the problem with doing a political Star Wars movie. Is that the answers to your questions are long. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, a cartoon can answer it. A TV show can answer it. The movie, they have trouble doing it. Um, That is fascinating. I had no idea about that. I can't remember where I learned that. I hope I'm right. Um, But (laughs) it sounds so complicated. I couldn't come up with it on my own. But I'm sure I heard it somewhere. Um, So speaking of the Star Wars movies, there's another sort of interesting piece of news out there that sort of came out today. Um, You know... When Disney took over the stewardship of Star Wars in 2012, uh, they sold the broadcast rights to Turner, right? And since then, we've been getting our Star Wars marathons and stuff on like TBS, TNT, stuff like that, right? Yeah. And from what I understand, that deal goes through, I actually have it right here, um... And by the way, it was a deal for $275 million. Turner got the rights to exclusively air every Star Wars movie, except for A New Hope, which involved Turner negotiating a separate deal with Fox, who still owned distribution rights for the movie. Yeah. Uh, and that was... That deal lasts until 2024. So that's crazy. Now, fast forward a few years and Disney's like, you know what we want to do? We want to start our own online streaming service. You know what would be cool? If we had the Star Wars movies on there. Uh Uh-oh, we've got a deal in place already. So apparently now Disney is trying to negotiate to get the broadcast rights back from Turner so they can play the Star Wars movies on their streaming service. Which this, yeah, <laughs> which to me is funny. Like I cannot imagine the legal wrangling that's going on behind the scenes. And you know, at the end of the day, Disney's just going to throw money at it. But wouldn't it be kind of fucked up if Disney ends up having to pay out more than they got paid for the broadcast rights? It, it, it would be. I I have a feeling they wouldn't have to pay that much more um, because I. Like, I mean, I'm just going to bring some of my like professional knowledge. I, I had never dealt with this kind of thing before, but I do know that streaming rights and t- 
television rights are slightly different and it's kind of still up in the air, I believe, as to whether television rights are the same as streaming rights. And in particular, television rights uh, for cable television and satellite, and et cetera, mm-hmm. is the same as streaming rights. Um, so w- which is something that Netflix would deal with all the time. They're used to this and they have the muscle. They have no problem um, uh, making these negotiations. But uh, Disney probably didn't know that when they made that negotiation with Turner. And Turner uh, has a lot of money, so they can fight them in court. And, and print. like the real issue isn't like, oh, they, they're convinced. They don't have to be convinced that Turner is going to win. What they have to know is that like they know that like, oh, if we put these movies on the streaming thing, that's a borderline issue. And therefore, Turner could sue us. So you don't have a right to do this. Streaming through your service is more or less the same as streaming, uh, and not streaming, but broadcasting over cable, television, satellite, et cetera. And therefore, um, you're violating our contract. Well, apparently from when I uh, the article I read today, that $275 million deal with Turner included not only television, but their own online services. Uh, until that must 20, be it. 24. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure if if they could just separate that part, they would be fine with, you know, Turner doing their Star Wars showings on TV and stuff. But, well, I don't know if they'd be fine. But what they're really after is that online component because of the app. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, that must be it then. That makes a lot more sense. I, I kind of figured, like, Disney would have enough money to say, like, look, like, we're not going to broadcast this on the Disney channel. We're mm-hmm. just going to put it on our streaming service. You know, it's like, you can deal with that. Right. <laughs> but if it's not, if, if uh, Turner has the streaming rights, yeah, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. And, and also I, I interesting little side note about how when Turner put that deal together, then they had to go to Fox and negotiate a deal for a new hope as well. Like yeah. it's, it's crazy how that ended up working out sort of the, the rights and stuff to star Wars because of that, um, that deal that George made back in 75 or 76, whatever it was about. uh, And if I'm not mistaken, was that to get, cause they were running out of money making a new hope and he had to go back and renegotiate his deal because he didn't want to give up merchandising rights and things like that. Um, I think that might have been the case. Like, I don't know whether it was specifically because they're running out of money or whether it was a part of the initial negotiations. But, yeah, you're right. Like, uh, that's the way it works with with uh, episode four is that Fox kind of has that's like a normal Fox, you know, 20th century Fox movie. Um, Whereas uh, as part of the deal, because Fox didn't think that Star Wars is going to go anywhere, even if it were like a modest hit you know sequel rights who cares right you know like it probably wasn't going to be a hit but even if it was like a regular hit you know like like a you know like planet of the apes or something like that or like smoking the bandit or whatever like you know giving away sequel rights is no big deal because it's like ah, how much money are you going to make from that and lucas was thinking like no, you know, like, uh, if I, if I want to get, you know, like if it, if it's a big hit, like I want to make sure that like I have the rights to it. Like maybe I want to do a TV show. Maybe I want to do books. Maybe I want to do comic books. I don't know. You know, whatever. (laughs) 
you know, like he, he was that smart where he's like, you know, like the future of this could be anything. It doesn't have to be movies. I want the rights to whatever it could be. And so he's like, no, here, here's the deal. You distribute this, you get this movie, you have these, uh, this input on, um, star Wars. And if anything comes after it, it's got to go through me. Mm-hmm. And the, I think, you know, so I don't know when that happened, but yeah, that's why is that nobody thought it was going to be a big, like th- that kind of hit. Yeah. That kind and of hit didn't exist in 1977. If I'm not mistaken, which makes this article a little weird to me, and I could just be mistaken and have misheard or misread something. From what I understand, the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy minus a new hope because Fox owns that in perpetuity. They own that forever unless they want to sell it or sell the whole company to Disney. They own those rights. But from what I understood, they had the rights for, but it it doesn't make sense when you start hearing about this sort of back and forth between Disney and, and Turner. Cause I always heard it was until 2020, 2020 was when, Disney got full access and rights to the prequel trilogy and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, but I don't see how that could be the case if they sold the broadcast rights to Turner back in 2013 or whenever it was. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a technical legal issue, but it's possible they could sell um, the rights after 2020 in that situation um, to say like, well, we we will have the rights in 2020. Therefore, we can sell those rights in the future. Oh, and that's why it goes until 2024. Maybe. Well, I, I don't know, but I I'm see. just saying it, that's possible. That's, it's something you could do. You can sell your rights. Uh, um, even if they don't exist at the moment, you can sell your rights at the moment they exist into the future. Okay. That may be what they did. That may be what they did. <clears throat> okay. Okay. That makes what sense. What I'm more interested in is whether this, whether when they, if, if, and when Disney buy most likely they will, because they're the only, remaining bitter at this point um, is what that means that they'll have the right to, to re-release the, the original trilogy, like the theatrical versions. Yeah. I, that's one of those things. I think until it happens, if it ever does, that's one of those things we're just going to hear rumors about from time to time, whether there be any, um, uh, you know, weight behind, or, you know, truth behind those rumors or not. Like, do you remember a couple of years ago, this might be one of those weird, small, little Star Wars news stories that you didn't really pay attention to. It, for some reason, it sticks out to me, but um, John Landis, the director that you know did like American Werewolf in London, he directed Michael Jackson's mm-hmm. Thriller video, um, he's friends with George Lucas, and he said at like a, a Q&A panel that he was like, and you know, did, did you guys hear Disney's going to release the unaltered movies, the original cut of the first three Star Wars movies. Um, but, you know, clearly that hasn't happened yet. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I, I could see them, you know. So the the deal with Fox, from what I understand, and man, it's a lot to unpack when you're trying to read up on that thing. Um, the earliest it could be done with is next year. So was it last week or the week before where Fox and Disney's shareholder meetings both voted on the purchase and they both agreed to the purchase and basically locked in saying, we're not going to take any outside bidders. 
we're committed to this deal. It's time to start working on this. So now they have like a year or more of clearing international regulatory committees and things like that. So, you know, if it goes through by summer next year and episode nine comes out in December of next year, I could see, you know, what better way to get us crazy Star Wars fans to buy yet another box set of these movies than to include the original trilogy in, you know, a nine movie Skywalker saga set, you know? Yeah, I think it's the most practical. Like they, they might be able to do it now, but why not save it until later? Especially if like you can clear some legal hurdles that way, and say like, oh, how are we going to market this? Like, let's let's squeeze one last physical release before everything goes pure digital. Mm-hmm. How can we justify this? And that does make sense. Like, I, I do think that like, I do think that some of the the tie up could be. That, um, cause I mean, you know, cause last year there was like a making star Wars, uh, article or, or scoop about like, Oh no, they've remastered the entire original, um, trilogy, the theatrical editions. They're out they're They're ready to go. Um, they didn't say whether they would be out, but they just said, no, they, they've done it. They're prepared to do it. Yeah. Um, they've also like, it's at least fairly well known that they have been doing 4k conversions. Like, of those movies as well. Um, and you know, Disney has released the last Jedi in 4k solo is going to be in 4k, but that's a different beast than converting an older movie into 4k. And I know like way back when, before the force awakens, not way back when, but a few years back, there was a company working on a 4k version of the older movies that was rejected by Lucasfilm. They didn't like it, so they rejected their work and and um you know, supposedly hired another company to work on it. So, you know, it's a matter of time before that comes out, I think. It really depends. It's hard for me to tell how <clears throat> successful 4K Blu-rays even are at this point. Like it's true. <clears throat> it's interesting like you know, it seems like every time a new format comes along, that format is a little less prevalent, you know, I, I, I guess, except for VHS to DVD. I feel like DVD almost got to VHS levels. I mean, you could, you're definitely able to find dollar DVD bins and stuff like you could with VHS and it's oh, yeah. know, waning years. But I don't feel like Blu-ray ever got to the point that DVD or VHS did because in the middle of Blu-ray's life cycle, you got to streaming. You know what I'm saying? That's when that's true. That's true. Netflix became streaming became a thing. And now, you know, you can stream in 4k. Uh, I watched, uh, I bought infinity war on 4k streaming the other day and it was fantastic. Um, (laughs) so that's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, what I, what I guess I'm trying to say is it is it worth it for them to put out a big 4K box set when Look, I I don't know it, how well those things even sell 4K Blu-rays sell in general in physical media 
it's going to be Star Wars. Absolutely. And if you say, you can see the version you saw as a kid, now you've got disposable income. You're like in your 40s or whatever. Like you can buy the exact version that you saw in the theater, 1977, 1980, 1983. You can now finally see it. Now that is a marketing gimmick par excellence. It doesn't matter. They don't have to say like, oh, the original versions are now canon. I'm not sure that that's ever going to happen. But but they can say like, oh, no, you can see the versions. It's not going to be like a laser disc transfer like it was uh, earlier. On the DVD. It's, like it's yeah. going to be the actual version. You're going to get exactly what it was. Uh, that's a gimmick. And that can sell. And you can squeeze some some money out of people. Um, I mean, I hate to say it in like cynical terms like that. But, I, you know, if it were my job to, to maximize Blu-ray sales, that's what I would do. Yeah, I it, for some reason I just see that being uh, most likely done in a box set. I don't know why. Almost like a the the craziest special feature they've ever put in a box set. It, you know what I'm saying? Like, can yeah. you think of a special feature that's bigger than the original Star Wars theatrical versions? It was a big deal when they did it originally on DVD, like mm-hmm. in 2003 or 2006 or whenever it was. It was. And th- those DVDs go for insane amounts of money on the secondary market because and that's that I, stuff looks like garbage too. Like mm-hmm. it is not. It, those are literally laser disc transfers. They're terrible. Yeah, they're they're not great. That's why, you know, I I could see it being, you know, oh, you get the nine Star Wars saga films, and they're in 4K, and they have buttloads of documentaries and. They have the original trilogy and uh, footage of Han Solo's ankle getting broken. And, you know, like, <laughs> hear what... Slow-mo, ch- here it goes. The yeah. door's collapsing on Harrison Ford's leg. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> oh, my God. I, and part of me says all that because um, I think the closest we've gotten to a really good sort of Lucas, George Lucas era uh DVD or Blu-ray release since Disney took over was The Last Jedi. And even that, to me, isn't as good as George would do with the prequel trilogies and the Star Wars DVD and Blu-ray box set. There's so much extra material on those. Um, You know, obviously with the original trilogy, you have 30, 40 years of time of stuff built up and and interviews and stuff to include, but... I just feel like the the new era, and it, maybe it's because people don't give a shit about that as much as they used to. Like, to me, when I was a kid, like D, that was the selling point of DVD was deleted scenes and commentaries and and stuff like that. Yeah, the quality, the extra quality was cool, but I really wanted the extra stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like the, the thing with the, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of great stuff that could be included. Um, even if it's stuff we've already seen, there's so many documentaries about like the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy and stuff like that, that could be done. Like they could do it. Um, I just feel like, you know, if it were me, like if I had my druthers, like the way I do it is I would say like, here's the George Lucas collection, the Lucasfilm George Lucas collection and not just do star Wars, but do like, here's the, Theatrical versions of THX one one three eight, American Graffiti, Star Wars, and, and all the Star Wars movies, including the theatrical versions of the prequels, which 
to my knowledge, I don't think any of them are actually available on home video. Like they even made changes to Phantom Menace for it that came out on VHS. Okay, so that's what I was when you were talking about that. I was just trying to think. Like I know they added that extra lap to the pod race. Was that just in the DVD version of the Phantom Menace, which didn't come out at the same time as the VHS, or was that on the VHS as well? I can't remember. Honestly, I don't know. The only version of Phantom Menace that I have in physical form is uh, is the VHS. Oh, okay. The widescreen VHS. Um, and I don't remember. That's the one I'm most familiar with. Uh, but I don't know. I didn't feel like... I don't remember feeling the pod race was too long, which I think is, is the way it feels now if you watch it because there's so much added to it. Um, um. There's an interesting version of Attack of the Clones that I would like to check out. Oh, you're talking about the IMAX version? The IMAX version. Include that shit, man. I I never got a chance to see Attack of the Clones in IMAX, and it's apparently edited differently because... Very different, yeah, because they had the shorter... Yeah, they couldn't... Uh, the, the reels couldn't be as big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing that. I saw that... Because uh, I remember... Um, uh, my friend uh, asked me, she was like, Oh, you know, they're, they're showing uh, uh, Star Wars episode two in IMAX. Do you want to see it? It's an IMAX. Cause we, we saw episode two together when it came out and we weren't particularly interested in going back to rewatch it, but he's like, well, it's an IMAX it could be different. You know, it could be better. And uh, we did, I remember the effects looking worse, but the actual movie being much faster. And a lot of stuff is cut out, and it's kind of the stuff that most people would want to cut out. Not saying that the whole movie isn't worthwhile, but, you know, like, there's there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of, like, romance stuff that could be trimmed down a little bit. And it was, like, I think it was, like, a, like a little over 90 minutes, maybe. So oh, maybe wow. minutes long. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, would it, would that be my preferred version of the movie that I would want to watch? No, but would I be interested in seeing an alternate cut, like an alternate George Lucas-approved cut of that movie? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he did. He must have approved it. Um, and what they cut out was not like the 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 big fights and stuff like that. I, I remember that much. Because um, I remember coming out of it thinking like, uh, that was pretty good. Like, I like that. You know, it's like, I remember we were talking, it was like, we knew that stuff was missing. Um, but, uh, we, uh, did not feel like it was, we, we felt like it made the movie better at the time. I mean, this is going, this is just the way I remember it from like well over a decade ago, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. Like it cut a lot of like some of the awkward moments, you know, I think is mostly what was gone. All right. Um, um. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, I think that'll about do it for us this week. We got a couple of voicemails and stuff, but I'm going to wait. For Will. Yeah, save them for our buddy Will. Um, uh, thanks for recording with me, and thanks for all the help uh, and all your hard work on Blue Harvest Adventures, which I hope you guys are looking forward to. I think you're going to enjoy it. I think it's a fun I, time. I think so, too. Uh, um, it's something we can all be proud of. It's It's good and you know it's got music it's got sound effects it's got everything it's it really does. fun and it's got it's got your boys uh Haas and will and it's got jesse it is dynamite stuff it's uh, really good why don't you tell our good listeners where they can find you on social media and, and give them one more plug for your shows and whatnot 
I don't know whether I need to do that. Well, okay, I'm on Twitter at GC9X, uh, GC9X, that's it. Um, and uh, I've got uh, Game Podcast, Hardcore Gaming 101. I've got um, uh, the Wookie Genome Project, and uh, those are the big, the big things. And the Robo report, which oh, and the Robo report. If you're if you're a Steel Patreon member, you get the Robo report, which is just me and Steel going at each other for usually like 35 minutes or so. Oh, it's such a good time. It is such a good time. Well, guys, that's going to do it for us this week. Um, Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Uh, If you like our theme song, check out the band that was kind enough to provide the music. Oh, and by the way. Uh, They provide most of the music for the Patreon shows, so if you want any more of that stoned Cobra goodness, check it out. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, and at stonedcobra.bandcamp.com. I saved one of my particularly favorite Stone Cobra songs for the theme song for Blue Harvest Adventures. So, look forward to hearing that. And uh, until next week, may the Force be with you. See ya. May the force be with us. <laughs>